Good morning. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we love you. Lord, we ask that you would continue to work in our lives, continue to give us the strength and the courage to face the things that we're facing. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray for those who are sick, for those who are dying from anything, but of course, for the coronavirus, this COVID-19 issue. Lord, we pray that you would calm the hearts of people, that you would point people towards you, that people would come to know you through this, and that those of us who are in you would stay strong, stay calm, Continue to love you. Continue to ask what we're called to do every day. Lord, be with us as we study the word this morning. Be with every person who's in their home right now, listening, watching online. Lord, let us feel your body. Let us feel the church. Let us feel your Holy Spirit ministering to each one of us. Because even though we're online, there is more than two or three gathered in your name because we're gathered here together. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. We have been talking for the last several sermons before the last couple weeks where we've been playing some past sermons about a renewal, a revival, what it would look like to see a revival happen here in the United States, here in this place, Vancouver, Washington, Portland, Oregon, into Seattle and Eugene and down the coast and up the coast and through the country and through the world. What would it look like to see a work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit happen here? And we believe that we're primed. We believe that we're ready for that to happen. We believe that God is putting things in place, calling people's hearts, that things are happening because of the the philosophies and the nonsense of the world that people are starting to give up on, that they're looking for truth and that Jesus is that truth. And so we've been talking about what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us? How are we going to answer that call? And we are unique. We're unique in the history of the world. We're unique in the history of the church. Every single era, every single era since Pentecost, since the Holy Spirit has come upon his people, has been unique, has been different, has had a particular calling within their era within their generation of believers, of Christ followers, to do the Great Commission in the way that God's called them to do it, relevant to the people that they're speaking to. There have been all kinds of errors, but we're in ours. We're in ours, and it is a special, unique time. It's a special time to follow Jesus. It's a special time to fulfill his Great Commission in power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And those who have been called to this time in this place have exactly the same calling as every believer who has ever walked the planet. And that is that we are to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so that's what we're doing as a church. And we've just been talking about that for a few weeks now, just trying to, 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 to revive the passion or to start the passion to see people come to know Jesus because we've been called to do that in this time, in this place, to do so, to bring the gospel to the world unashamed and unafraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Romans 116, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. These, should be, these verses should be ringing out in our spirit 
as we think about what we've been called to do in this time, in this place. And I encourage you, if this is your first time with Acts Church and you're connecting with us online, go back, not to the last couple of weeks where we've been doing livecasts, because those have actually been older sermons that we brought back, but go back to the couple of sermons prior to this one that we've done and watch those to understand where we're coming from and why we believe this is such a special time. One of the things we've talked about is the fear of man. The fear of man in talking about the things that might keep us from bringing the gospel to our neighbors, which is, of course, everyone. Is the fear of man, the fear that we're going to be embarrassed by it or that people don't want to hear it or that we're going to be looked down upon. We've talked about that. We've talked about making sure to get our lives right. To get our lives right. Because we need to be getting our lives right to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ anyway. But if we're going to bring the gospel and we're going to be used by God, we can't have sin mucking things up between us and God. So we got to get our lives right if we're going to do this right. We can't have hypocrisy. We need to be walking worthy of the works of repentance, compelled by our love for Jesus Christ, that we might say, my life needs to be committed to him fully and completely, that he might use me in this great work of his great commission. We can't be hypocrites. We can't say one thing and do another, or we can't expect the power of the gospel to be taken seriously when we preach it, when we speak it, when we show it in our love. we got to admit our failings. I'm not saying that we need to be perfect. I'm not saying that you're ever going to be perfect in that kind of a way on this side of the kingdom of God. All I'm saying is that we've got to be honest about who we are, honest about our own failures, because when we're honest about those things, people might take us seriously, but when we pretend like we're something that we're not, it's very hard to get the gospel across because it seems like it's coming from a place of dishonesty. Today, uh, we're going to focus on studying a different fear, and that's the fear of ability, the fear of ability. One of the things I want to mention, and we, we, we've been doing these Acts casts during the week, and we talked a little bit this week, and we were talking about human sexuality. We had Professor Nancy Piercy on. We actually talked a little bit about this with Mark Clark as well, but we were talking about that issue, and it kind of brought up this idea that sometimes we're looking at people's sin and wanting Jesus to save them from their particular sin or the particular thing that's in their way, instead of seeing that the root of that is that they don't have Jesus Christ. And so I want, to just, I want to just encourage you, Christ follower, do not focus on the sins of other people as though that particular thing is the only thing they need to be saved from. And if they just stop doing fill in the blank, everything would be great. Focus on their need for Jesus Christ to completely transform them. Keep that in the front of your mind as you're bringing the gospel to people. That it's not about the sin. Those are just the symptoms of the problem. The problem is spiritual death. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And you know that if you're a Christ follower for yourself. And yet we can get locked into this sort of those people, these people, they do this, they need help with that. Get that out of your mind. And then when you go, you got to go without fear. Without fear of man, we've talked about that. You can go back and watch that. But without fear of ability. Without the fear that we don't have the ability to preach the gospel. Remember that Jesus says in Matthew 9, 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We're trying to get ourselves ready to be those laborers 
because the harvest is plentiful. But in order to do that, we have to believe what God has told us that we're actually able to do it, that we actually have the power to do it, the ability to do it. So I want to start out with those who are young, young in age or young in the faith. Paul writes to Timothy, and and Timothy's a young man. And so, as you probably know, if you've been around very long, if you're young, if you're a young person, you've probably seen some of this. But even if you're young in the faith, maybe you've experienced a little of this or feared a little bit of this. And that is that the young in age or the young in the faith might not always be taken as seriously as the old in age or the old in the faith. And so you start to feel like, maybe I'm not competent. I'm not able I don't have the things that it takes to be able to go and bring the gospel to people. But this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says this in 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 13. Let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So Timothy is this young man. And God has gifted him as he's gifted every one of you, every man, woman, and child watching this today. You have been specifically and uniquely gifted. God has given you that. You've been equipped. Do not let anyone despise your youth. The young in age and the young in the faith are equipped. In fact, if you've been around very long and been around some young folks, young in age, young in the faith, you'll find they actually have a lot of profound insights. My own children, who are young and were even younger, have many times said things or done things that has shown me that the Holy Spirit works in them just as he works in you. And so do not let anyone despise your youth or feel like you're not equipped because you're young in age or young in the faith. Don't fear that your words are somehow lesser because you're young. Of course, you ought to honor those who are older than you, but speak boldly. Speak boldly, no matter how young you are, the truth you know about Jesus Christ, your Savior. Speak it boldly, young or old. The young in age and the young in the faith are often very passionate about the things of God. Very passionate about the truth of the gospel about the resurrection power of Jesus and what he's done in their life. Some of the young have not yet built up all the fears of people and the fears of ability that some of us that are older have. Some of the young of the faith, no matter what age they are, are so moved with passion because of what Christ has done in their life that they're ready to go. Do not be held back by anyone, by anyone, because you're young or you're young in the faith. Don't fear that you don't have the ability. Now you should do this in good contact and love, in the spirit and faith and purity, all that kind of stuff. But speak the truth about what Jesus has done for you. Consider that to be your mission. Consider that to be your calling. Consider yourself equipped for the calling that God has given you because he does not call the equipped, but he equips the called means he's given you everything that you need to witness, to witness to Jesus Christ and his resurrection power. Now, you ought to, young or young in the faith, old or old in the faith, you ought to continue to read, to study, to know the scriptures, to know Jesus. You ought to do all of those things. 
I'm not saying that because you're young, you, all, you know everything. You certainly do not. I am saying that you're equipped to speak the truth of the gospel, while at the same time you should be learning, as Paul exhorts Timothy to do. Some of us who feel like we may not have the answers that people might uh, ask us the, to the questions that people might ask if we start to talk about Jesus, uh, we, we worry about that. We don't feel up to the task or we feel weak. We feel like we're weak. It's not true. It's just not true. You are up to the task. You are up to the task. Whoever's watching this, you're a Christ follower. You're up to the task of all this that we've been talking about in terms of sharing the gospel. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to speak if you are following him to speak to the people he's calling you to speak to. He will not leave you without the words to speak. It is less complicated than you're probably making it. You have his power. And here's the deal, Christ follower. You are part of Christ's body, the church. You are part of Christ's body, the church. If Christ has the power, then you as his body have the power, and Christ most certainly does. And so keep that in mind when the fear comes in, when there's the person and, and they're sitting there and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, go and speak to that person or call this person up or text this person or send an email to this person or whatever it is and the fear creeps in. I'm too young. I'm too young in the faith. I don't know enough or I know a lot, but I'm worried the last big question I don't have the answer to or whatever it is. Recognize who you are in Jesus Christ and be bold. Be bold. Listen to uh, this passage from First and Second Corinthians. This is First Corinthians one seventeen through two five. It says this. I find this very interesting. Paul, as many of you know, was a very educated man. Maybe maybe the greatest mind of his generation. And yet, the way he writes about the way that he preached and spoke the gospel here is incredible to me. Listen to this. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the, Christ, the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God, not made, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now listen, that's a lot. That's a lot. But listen to what Paul is saying. Was it that he didn't have wisdom and knowledge? This was a studied man. He knew a lot of stuff. He knew of the Greeks and the wisdom of the world. He knew of the Jews and the wisdom of the Torah and the scriptures. He knew all of that. But when he came to preach the gospel, he did not rely on those things. Instead, he came in weakness. Instead, he came with just one thing, Christ and him crucified. And the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and the transformational power of Jesus Christ without worrying about whether the people who heard him thought that he was smart or attractive or good looking or noble or strong. Instead, we glory in our weakness. Listen, I don't know about you, whoever's watching. Maybe you're the smartest, best looking, whatever person in the world, but I'm not. I'm not. And I glory in the Lord that I have been counted worthy to speak the truth of the gospel, even though I'm weak, because in him I'm strong. In him I'm strong. You may have felt weak many times in your life, or rejected or despised by the world. But it is not the world who judges your value. It is not the world who judges your worth, but God who made you in his image and likeness, who has declared that you are justified, sanctified, already seated in the heavenly places with him if you're in Christ, has declared that the power of the Holy Spirit is with you and working through you to do amazing things that the wise of this world see as foolishness because the wise of this world have been made foolish. And their judgments have been made foolish. And the judgments that you've heard in your life are foolishness. If they've said that you're weak, you're not noble, you're not wise, you're not this. If you are in Christ, you have all of that. Every bit. Every bit. Paul's saying this, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) not coronavirus, I just swallowed something. Paul is saying this about himself. Not not leaning on what he could lean on, all his worldly wisdom, but leaning on one thing, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God through him to preach the gospel. That's all we need. You don't have to be the smartest, the best looking, the whatever. You're probably not. You know what? Nobody really is. We all have our perceived weaknesses according to the world, but you have no weaknesses when you're in Christ. 
no weaknesses. You can proclaim boldly. Not because you have so much wisdom in the world and because you can answer every question and because you're so quick and because you can debate somebody and because of all that. That is not it. You can go with just Christ and him crucified and him resurrected and what he's done in your life. And it's effective as it was with the church who he's writing to. The Corinthians in a huge city. This major church of God. And he just came with Christ crucified for our sins, resurrected, proved to be God. That's where he is. That's what he did. If men reject you, women reject you, people reject you, people despise you, people think that the wisdom of God is foolishness, that's their rejection of Christ, not of you. It is not a rejection that matters because your acceptance is in Jesus. And in his body, the church. You do not need to fear the rejection of humans. You don't need to fear the rejection of the men and women at the office or the kids at school or whoever it is because of all that rejection means nothing when we know who we have been made in Christ. I know that it's a fear. It has been for me. We think about the gospel, and we think about renewal, and we think about revival. We know that the thing between us and that is the boldness to actually speak and preach the gospel to a dying world. And that terrifies us. Whether it's because we're afraid of people or whether it's because we're afraid we're not able, it terrifies us. And I'm just telling you, Paul said, hey, I came in weakness. My weakness is God's strength. That's what you have to tell yourself. You have to believe what is written in the word. You have to believe that the scripture is true. You're relying on the scripture for your salvation in Christ. Rely on it also that everything else is true, including who you are in him and your ability to preach the gospel. I want to see people's eyes open. People who have blinded themselves, who have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. But if I want to see their eyes open, I can tell you what will not work. What will not work is for me to go to people in my own wisdom, in my own book smarts and learning and whatever it happens to be, and try to push them into a relationship with God by some sort of intellectual force. The only way that their eyes will be opened, the only way that the truth that they've been suppressing will come back on them like a wave is through the power of the Holy Spirit. My obligation, your obligation, is not to change their heart. My obligation and your obligation is to make disciples by speaking the truth. God brings the harvest. God makes it grow. You plant, somebody else waters, God gives the increase. All you need to be faithful to is what you've been called to do. But we're not always doing it. We're not always doing it, and it's time for us to do it. Because it's God who gives the increase, because he's told us we don't need to fear, because he's told us we can go in simplicity knowing nothing but Christ crucified and risen from the dead, because we know that, what happens is it's taken away every excuse that we have. Every excuse that we've put out why we don't go and bring the gospel to the world is gone. It's gone because every one of them has been answered here in Scripture. That's no accident. 
all of our fears, all of our worries, all of that has been taken away from us. So that there's no excuse left. If we choose not to go, it is our will against our King and Lord Jesus who has commanded us to go. And we don't want to be there. Not as a church, not as his church worldwide. We want to do what he's called us to do. We've got to let the excuses fall to the ground. We, no more delay. No more delay. See, I'm a procrastinator. Some of you may know that. Of the three other people in the room right now while I'm giving this sermon, uh, I think all three of them know that I can be a procrastinator. I try to put things off, especially hard things, difficult things. That's just the way it is. However, there is no procrastinating in Christ. There's no procrastinating in Christ. We have this time, it is a precious gift that has been given to us. This time where we're in the fallen world with fallen people, with a message of hope and peace, this is our time. We've been given this time to minister the gospel. We should not waste one more day. We should not waste one more moment, one more instant. The harvest is there. And Jesus is coming back. I believe he's coming back soon to bring judgment on the world. We want as many as possible to be saved. We want everyone to be saved. We want them all to have transformational life change in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important than God who sanctifies us and justifies us and will glorify us. Nothing more important than God. There is no price for which I would sell my relationship with him, which means that he is worth above everything, above all. We have the answer, Christ follower. We have the answer to the question that every human asks. What is this all about? Who am I? What's my purpose? What's the meaning of life? We have the answer. It's all about Jesus, who he is, and the joy, the joy of worshiping him, of knowing him, of having relationship with him, of knowing what he's done for us. That's what life is about. And for those of us who know it and who feel it and who live it, who walk looking at Jesus' face, not looking down at the waves that are crashing and sinking, but looking at Jesus' face and boldly walking that way, we know exactly what it feels like to be in the joy of Jesus Christ. How can we keep that from someone? Now, a couple things about sharing the gospel that I just want to get out of the way up front. Some things that I think we fall into sometimes. One, when we witness the gospel, we witness the real gospel. The real gospel. Now that may sound obvious, but let me tell you what the alternative is. The alternative is the watered down gospel. Now I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone, say you went to McDonald's, or I know none of you go to McDonald's, it's just me, the only one who's gone there, that's why they've sold 500 billion hamburgers. But wherever you might go, and you get like a Sprite or a 7-Up, so it's clear, so you can't necessarily tell whether the, the sugar has gone in with the drink. And you go up there, and you fill that Sprite up, fill that thing up, you put the lid on, come back to your table, you get your hamburger, your fries, you're all ready to go. You pray, of course, wash your hands, do all that good stuff. But you're ready to go, 
You start in your hamburger. You go for that first drink of Sprite. You pull that thing up and you take a big pull on that baby. And instead of the sugary sweet goodness of a Sprite or a 7-Up, you get that soda water. Now, some of you like soda water because you're strange or whatever. Some of you like that. But nobody likes soda water when they were expecting sugary sweet goodness. It's like that. It's like that when we water down the gospel. This metaphor was brought to you by the Coca-Cola company, by the way. It's like that when you water down the gospel. There's nothing of the goodness left. There's nothing of the goodness left when you take all the things that you think are hard out. And it's a real shocker for the person who you've promised this, this sugary goodness to when they find out that it's not exactly what you said it was going to be. Don't water down the gospel. The watered-down gospel is just gospel light. It's diet gospel. It's got nothing to it. The watered-down gospel is just that nasty soda water without all the goodness in it. You think what you've taken out when you bring the watered-down gospel to somebody is the difficult, but you've actually taken everything out that makes it real, that makes it good, that makes it something more than just a quid pro quo between you and God to get something for yourself. But that's what we do sometimes. We talk about how good someone's life will be. We talk about all the things that you'll get, but nothing that you'll give. We talk about how, how much happiness there will be if you follow Jesus, but we don't talk about the fact that you've got to pick up your cross daily and follow him. The watered-down gospel simply is not the gospel. It's simply not the gospel. It's a sad and sick and untrue thing. And it has at least two distinct negative effects. One, it will push someone away from the truth because it's weak. When you bring the false diet gospel, the everything with Jesus is just good to somebody, they know inherently that they live in a fallen world. And they know inherently that it's not all good. And if they can read, and they probably can, they know that this book doesn't say anything about that being the gospel. And so you push them away. Or you make people think that they can follow Christ with something less than all their life. And that's not the gospel. And so they get in, and they, and they put in what they think they've got to put in. So I show up for church. Maybe I cut out a couple of these things in my life. Maybe I give a little money. Maybe I uh, you know, volunteer to do this thing or whatever, and I'm all good, and I have my free ticket to heaven and whatever it is. And they find out that following Jesus is something much more significant, and then it, they feel lied to. They feel deceived. Look, we're all pretty good salespeople. You're probably a pretty good salesperson. The fact is, is that we get things all the time by essentially selling. That's what we do. You want your friend to go to the movie with you? You talk about why you should go see it because of how good it's going to be for her, how much she's going to like it. You're selling. You want your boss to give you a raise? You tell her how much she's going to get from your great work. You want somebody to buy your boat? You tell him he's really going to enjoy going out on that lake and the sunset and the fish are just jumping and the whole thing. That's what you're going to focus on. You're not going to focus on the cost of any of those things, right? You're going to tell her to go to the movie for her. Not because you want to go because you didn't want to go by yourself. You're not going to tell your boss that the raise is actually going to be very expensive and cost a lot of money and you're probably not going to work any harder than you did before. 
You're not going to tell the person who you sell your boat to that it will probably break down about once a month and cost them an arm and a leg to fix. No, you're going you're to focus on the good stuff because you're probably a good salesperson. And that's what we do. We appeal to other people's self-love to try to get them to do the thing that we want them to do. But that is not our call with the gospel. We are not to sugarcoat. We are not to bring the gospel to somebody and take out everything that's real about it so that we can sell it. Because it's not your job to sell. It's your job to witness and testify. Period. Don't sell. We're not selling Jesus. We are witnessing his resurrection power. The power of God to save. We don't have to tell people why Jesus is going to make their life pain-free. Because he's not. He's not. We're still going to be in this fallen world until we go to be with him. Don't self-help Jesus. Don't do it. Witness about salvation. Witness about forgiveness of sin and eternity with God. Absolutely. And the joy and all the great things about following Christ. But don't just sell some sort of weak happiness. Witness to his truth. Here's the deal. The world is not going to love you. We've talked about this before. They're not going to love you. Paul talks about it here. The, the cross is foolishness to so many, but it's the power of God to those who are saved. God's not about making people popular or rich or successful. Jesus is about making people whole. Jesus is about giving people peace with God. Jesus is about transforming a somewhat painful process of refinement that truly helps us to understand who we are and who God is and make us fully us. It is not a pain-free process. Jesus is about finding lost sheep and bringing them back to the fold, returning to him. Remember that Jesus paid for our peace with God by dying on a cross, by serving and sacrificing. He made us right with God, and we're to imitate him in service and in sacrifice. We're to witness to joy, not pleasure, not pleasure. Pleasure is this fleeting experience. It's the taste of Sprite. Hits those endorphins or whatever they are in your brain and it makes you feel good for a minute. But it doesn't last. There's nothing to it. Joy is an eternal state of reality that grows and grows eternally as we know Christ more and more and more fully. That's not about making people happy all the time. He's real. He's dangerous. He's dangerous to our pride and to our sin and to our selfishness and to our rebellion. He's not a tame God. Following Jesus is not some modern self-help plan. Think your way into happiness. Live your best life with all the goodies. I'm not saying that you're not going to have a good life, and I'm not saying that there's not happiness in Christ. I'm happy in Christ, absolutely. But my real thing is joy because things like what's happened recently happen. And people worry, and there are people dying, and there are people losing their jobs. And if I told you that Jesus was just about happiness and giving you everything, what do they have now? Instead, what he's given me is peace, joy. He's taken away my fear so that I can live in joy, in, in, in peace, in, in comfort with him.
And when I say comfort, I don't mean the kind of comfort we get from a big couch. I mean the kind of comfort I have knowing that I'm saved and that no matter what happens, whether I get this virus that's going around tomorrow and die in a hospital, or whether I live another 80 years and witness to the gospel, either way, he comforts me with his comfort. He gives me peace, and he gives me real joy. That's what I want people to know. I don't want us to sell God. That somehow Jesus is a way to to grant wishes and get free stuff. I really, really want us to witness to the real power of the gospel and help people to know that it's real. They've been sold enough. They've been sold postmodernism. They've been sold the post-Christian idea. They've been sold sexual freedom. They've been sold all these things, and they've recognized what happens when they buy into things that people sell. Instead, let's not sell anything. We're offering a free gift of salvation to those who choose to follow Jesus with all of their life. Keep that in mind as you witness to the gospel. They want to know the real thing, the blood and the wine, the real life that God has for us. That costs our life, and it's such a great thing to give. Because it takes away our pride and our selfishness and our rebellion and our sin and gives us Jesus. I want you to imagine for a second, as we kind of close here, that I'm a billionaire. I have, a, I have billions and billions of dollars. And I tell you this, listen, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a million dollars. And for the next two weeks, anyone that you bring to me, I will also give a million dollars. Get your friends, get your family, get your neighbors. Anybody that you bring to me gets a million dollars. They get a million dollars. What would you do? I would hope you'd go tell everybody. I would hope you'd tell every friend, every neighbor. You would leave no one out. You'd say, I have this great news. Everybody gets a million dollars from this guy who's got billions and billions and billions of dollars. He's going to give a million dollars to everybody I bring to him. You'd go out and you'd do that. What if you forgot to tell one of your friends? You just forgot. How would your friend feel about you, knowing that you forgot to tell him or her about the free million dollars that you told everybody else about? Your friend would probably not be very happy because it was as simple as you just telling him. Now, if you did go around and tell people that, I think some people would laugh at you, ridicule you, tell you that it's a scam, that it's not real. That there's no real million dollars in this ridiculous. They might reject you. They might reject your message. But if you loved them, you would still tell them. Is your faith in Christ worth more than a million dollars? I hope so. I hope so. You have something so much more valuable than that. That's just something that might be able to bring some people some pleasure or pay some bills or do whatever. You have Jesus Christ to share. You have Jesus Christ to share. How many of your friends or your family or your neighbors do you want to come to you knowing that you never shared the most valuable thing in the world, in the universe with them? How, how should they feel about you? How should my friends feel about me if I don't share Jesus with them? Billionaires got nothing on Jesus. Money is nothing. The things of the world are nothing compared to a relationship with Jesus. I just want us to get jacked up. I just want us to get jacked up that we have the honor. We have the honor and the joy of being counted worthy in Christ of getting to share the gospel. 
I want us to get jacked up about that, and I want us to stay jacked up, not just now, not just after we hear a sermon or something about it, but continue to wake up every day and say, I've been counted worthy of the honor of sharing the most important news ever, the news that the angels brought to the shepherds. Jesus is born. The good news that God became man, that he died, that he rose again, that we can be right with him. There is nothing greater. And you, Christ follower, have been given the honor and the command to share it. We've got to ask ourselves, are we doing that? Pray every morning. Get up, read the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, if you need to. Get equipped every day with the full armor of God and go out into battle. Knowing you have the Holy Spirit's power, knowing you have the body of Christ and the shield wall, and the Holy Spirit, and the command of Jesus, and the authorization of Jesus to go out and share the gospel. Do you love the people who are made in the image and likeness of God? All these people out there who are walking around in blindness and darkness, who have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, who God's wrath is being stored up for because they reject him and rebel against him, and all that they need to do is throw themselves at the foot of the cross and love Jesus and serve Jesus and make him king, and they would be saved. Do you love these people? Really, just, just do you love them? Think in your heart. Do you love them? Do you love them? Is it real? Or do we just say that in church on Sunday? Oh, we love people. Yeah, we love people. Do you love them? If not, ask Jesus to give you a love for people so that there's no way you would let them go another day without hearing about Jesus. There's no way that after this message is over and church is over this morning that you're not going to get your phone out and start texting people and say, you know what, we need to talk. i got to tell you about what Jesus is doing in my life. Regardless of whether they might reject you or not want to hang out with you anymore or whatever it is, that you've got to tell them because it's worth more than a million, it's worth more than a billion, it's worth more than anything. And you love them so much that you're going to give that to them. Jesus loves these people like he loves you. If we love Jesus, we will do what he commands. We will preach the gospel. Church, this is our call. This is our call. We've had several messages on this because I believe that now is the time. It's always the time, but I believe that this is a special time. Let's witness to the resurrection power, the transformational, life-changing, life-giving, peace-with-God power of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've given us. Lord, this is such an important call. We know. We know you've asked us to do this, Lord, and we repent Lord, we confess and we repent that we don't always do what we're called to do in terms of witnessing to your resurrection, to the most powerful and amazing thing that has ever happened. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us and that we would desire to preach the gospel, to speak the truth, to tell people our story, what you've done for us. God, just give us an intense passion. Let us get jacked up. Let us just give us a love for these people all over the world, but right here, starting right next door in our own families, at work, at school, at home. Just give us a passion to see people's lives changed through you. 
God, I pray you'd be once again with all those who are suffering, with those who are sick, with the first responders, with the healthcare workers, with all those that are dealing with this uh, COVID-19 issue and all the other issues that continue to go on. Lord, we pray for the economy, that you would take care of people and that people would have what they need. But we pray that in all of this, they would see what they really need, the peace that only comes through you, the peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, in you, Lord. Let us be your body. Let us share.